Welcome to Deck Picks Podcast. This is a podcast where a group of friends gets together to talk about their commander decks, how we built them, how they played, and what we might change in future decks. If you want to know more about the deck that we're talking about today, take a look at our Moxfield account where we share the deck list as well as all of the suggestions that we talk about. Want to hear more about how our games are going and what cards may have made the difference in the win? Follow us on some of our socials at Deck Picks Pod. Now let's jump in. Yes. I think we keep it at like 68. Yeah, we should keep it around 69. Welcome to Deck Picks Podcast. I went ahead and started this before Martin sat down, so we'll see how long it actually takes him to show up. Um, As we're getting going... Oh, he had to get his coffee. Great. We'll just wait. It's fine. And Martin, what was your answer to the question? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, anyway, welcome to Deck Picks Podcast. We're going to be here talking about one of Nick's decks. Um, but to get things going, uh, if you are known for making one meal that most people would consider palatable, uh, what would that be? So, Aaron, I'm not thinking your dry chicken breast, just to get that out of there. That's what I would choose gotcha. for, for him. Gotcha. And meal, food item, something along that those lines. Uh, we'll start with Nick. I make a pretty good cinnamon roll when I have the time to make it. How much time is that? Uh, usually between four hours and uh, half a day. Four hours and half a day. So when those are requested for breakfast, it yeah would yeah. It's usually expect them um, for lunch. It's usually best to make them ahead. I've learned that over the past three years. Uh, hey, making them. got it down to a science now. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I, yeah. I, it's time well spent. Um, um, I, yeah. Aaron, how about you? Um, I don't do a lot of cooking of palatable food. So I guess my choice would be uh, maybe my apple pie. Oh, it's so I guess. good. I, that's about it. That's, that's, that's hey, it's so good. Though. That is that's exactly what I was thinking for you, and uh, Martin. I am. I've been working on my cooking skills, but I'm still more of a griller than anything. So I, I'd probably just go classic burgers. If if I had to be honest, I really expected you just to say pizza rolls. Um, so the fact that you came up with something that you weren't just throwing in the microwave is uh, is a solid win. I'm you not like you had a rebuttal and... there. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like pizza rolls are bad. I'm not going to do it. I, and the listeners don't deserve say, it. I didn't say that they were bad. I this episode say of those Deck words. Pot is sponsored by pizza rolls. If it's, Tostitos sponsored us. it it's, They're not hey. a sponsor. They're heavily endorsed by Martin Sandberg of his own volition, and we are not uh, infringing on any copyright But terms. what kind of pizza rolls, though? Mixed. Always mixed. Like Supreme? Uh, pepperoni sausage. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That's um, fantastic. Cool. Uh, I what about guess. You, Bill? Um, yeah, what about you, Bill? If you don't say pulled pork, I'm gonna be so upset. I, I was gonna say it's probably either pulled pork. Although recently, like, I I can cook, but I like to make like the main course, like the pulled pork, the meat, the whatever, the sides. I don't really care as much about. Recently, um, my chili has been requested, um, which doesn't happen very often so i guess that's okay but yeah it's probably the pulled pork which i don't do anything special for so i'll take no credit it's always good 
Um, cool. Well, hey, let's... Uh, let's... Actually, I have one last thing I really like to cook. That's every single one of Martin's decks. Oh, boy. <laughs> boy. Just like coming just, in I hot. Love, I, love, I love to dump a little bit of gas. <laughs> and if only you would have thought of that in the moment. Burn them off. <laughs> We are we are recording this on a Tuesday night, and Man. I can tell you right now, it has already been a heated week in the various chats. Hey, um, cooking, and we're out here cooking. Let him cook. Um, speaking of cooking, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Mr. Nick Dutter's deck. Um, this is Auntie Blight, bad influenced. Um, Nick, I guess, talk us through the deck, why you built it, when you built it, kind of give us the rundown. All right, let's go back. Um, Start of the year, I was set and tasked myself to, don't give me that look, Aaron, uh, make a monocolored deck for each one of the colors. And I made it through four colors, four decks, and I kind of lost some steam um, coming into red. So I kind of let it sit for a little bit, quite a long bit, uh, probably six months at that point. Um, and I got a lot of flack for not finishing my mono rotation uh, from our pod. Um, originally, this deck was going to be a uh, Solfim Mayhem Dominus deck. Um, I was looking at him for my mono red and he's a two cost uh, or sorry, four cost, two colorless, uh, two red Uh, 5-4 that says if a source you control would deal non-combat damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, it deals double that um, instead. And then he's got a discard ability to get indestructible counters on him. Um, At first, I really liked his ability. I was going to make kind of a group pain deck revolved around him um, with a lot of the pain uh, enchantments and stuff like that just to kind of hurt everybody at the same time it just never really resonated with me when I was building the deck, never really kind of meshed with it. So I started digging a little bit um, for monocolor red commanders and like a shiny beacon, um, Auntie Blight bad influence popped up on my mono red feed. um, And I just, what's a mono red feed? I'm just for looking at mono, for, oh, mono, okay. mono red commanders. You should, you don't, I just have, have a, a, I just have a feed for mono red commanders. There's, there's a, there's yeah, a, it's a like feed for everybody going through and through. Yeah, for yeah like, there's a feed for everybody that was. Do you remember doing the scene in the Clockwork Orange where he just has his eyes like <laughs> stapled rich. open? That's what I was doing. But I just have every mono colored commander <laughs> go through, and I had to, I had to. Yeah, it was Martin that was actually tear dropping the the liquid in my eyes to make sure that I was able to stay up. Um, but. Auntie Blight uh, came into view, and I instantly fell in love with her. Um, she is a three-cost, uh, two-colorless, one-red, two-two flyer that says whenever a source you control deals damage to you, put that many plus-one, plus-one counters on Auntie Blight Bad Influence, and she has a pay ability. It's one colorless and a red to tap it and remove X plus-one, plus-one counters from Auntie Blight, and it deals X damage to any target. Um I turned my focus on spells that directly damaged really me. Um, at that point, I turned it into kind of a um, self-hate deck um, where I want to dump a lot of damage on myself. It's a really high-risk, high-reward deck. Um, I want to deal a lot of damage to myself in hopes to take usually one, if not all, of the table out with me at the same time. Um 
it's just a fun deck. I mean, there's a lot of interaction with different cards in it. Um, it can be really fast. I feel like it's got a game plan for every stage of the game. It can win fast. It can kind of hold its own on the mid game, and it does have a few late game plays as well with it. But um, yeah, I just really keyed in on a lot of fun cards um, that I like to play, um, and a lot of cards that deal damage to myself to do so. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a really fun mono red deck, and I've. I think I've found that mono red is my favorite mono color to, to play through it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, we did give you a lot of crap for the That's true. mono 23 because not because you didn't finish mono 23, but because in 2023 coming into this year, you said, I'm going to build these five decks and that's it. I did say that. And that was done in the first month. You did four. I did. And then it was, I think there's been 15 other decks in that time. And so it wasn't that you didn't finish Mono 23. It's that those were the only five decks you were going to build. I know I have uh, a problem. I mean, it's a deck building problem. Um, and I can recognize that in myself. Um, I should have known that when I blew through four of those colors in <clears throat> three weeks, I uh, had an issue. And, yeah, you know, uh, it, it, I think it's just recognizing those things in ourselves, you know, here it is. You, you, you're aware you, you can decide if you need to make changes or not. You um, don't. I yeah, know I don't. You're making Martin look good. <laughs> um, so I guess walk us through kind of like how this gameplay is supposed to work, because, um, I mean, dealing damage to yourself and leveraging that. You know, yeah. we always talk about life as a resource, but this is Absolutely. kind of an extreme aspect of that. It's so a I very guess, extreme uh, asset. Yeah, yeah a, a very extreme version through, of like, that. From opening hand to like kind of what are your avenues that you're looking for? What's kind of like an ideal game plan? So I think it really starts with how many players are on uh, the table. I mean, if it's a five man pod, it really depends on the opening hand, kind of how the game needs to go for me at least. Um, so if it's, let's just say if it's five man, um, I'm hoping for something, uh, you know, a ramp. So I'm looking for a mana crypt for sure. Um, or soul ring or whatever you have to kind of ramp up two mana. Um, usually two lands. Um, I, I love, um, a card volcano hellion in my opening hand. It's a really high risk card. Um, but usually it has some pretty amazing benefit for it um it's a a four cost two colorless two red six five Uh, it has volcano hellion has echo x where x is your life total um i believe echo is you have to pay that cost if you want to keep it on the board um when volcano hellion comes into play it deals an amount of damage of your choice to you and target creature the damage can't be prevented um i think this has two different avenues in it especially early on if you have a commander that comes out you can usually get rid of that pretty easy um and i mean you can dump any amount of damage you want out on there um really it'd be nice to have something like stuffy doll out with that as well um stuffy doll is a five cost zero one that has indestructible and uh when it enters the battlefield to choose a player, Martin always chooses Aaron, but you know, at that time we just choose who needs to get chosen. Um, when stuffy doll is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to the chosen player. So 
in essence, if you wanted to, you could have Stuffy Doll out, throw out Volcano Hellion for 20, deal 20 damage to Stuffy Doll and a player. Auntie gets 20 counters. And then at that point, you're hoping to swing off with her and either take a couple people out or whatever it is at that point. Um, really, if it's a lot of players, I'm hoping to have um, a specific card, if I can find it. Chandra's, one of the Chandra's. Ignition? Yeah, Chandra's Ignition. Um Chandra's Ignition is a 5-cost, 3-colorless, 2-red target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each other creature and each opponent. Um, that's just a really good one to to take everybody out at the same time if Auntie's lethal at that point with um, like 30 counters on her or something like that, um, depending on what time or what point in the game it is. Um, but really, it's just trying to find a balance between how much damage you can take versus how much damage you can pump out with auntie um i had a really good suggestion from my friend martin um when i first started making this deck to put a lot of equipment in to give auntie vigilance so there's a lot of zero cost equipments in here to give auntie vigilance so you can at least attack with her with flying um before you hold those two off to tap her and take the the counters to deal damage um there's a lot of damage multipliers in this too. A lot of the enchantments that will double damage, triple damage, um, and stuff like that. I think another card that is one of my favorite cards in this deck is Wheel of Misfortune, and I've played this a couple times too um, to win the game or at least swing and, and kill somebody. With, and that's uh, this is a long text, so bear with me here. It's a uh, three cost, two colorless, one red sorcery that says. Each player secretly chooses a number zero or greater. Then all players reveal those numbers simultaneously and determine the highest and lowest numbers revealed this way. Wheel of Misfortune deals damage equal to the highest number to each player who chose that number. And each player who didn't choose the lowest number discards their hand, then draws seven cards. So in that scenario, usually I'm trying to bet a lot of life for myself to, to take life for myself and get um auntie that uh, those counters well I, i'm just gonna hop in and say that wheel of misfortune has always been the bane of my existence because you can read it however many times you want and i've yep. seen it played at the table at least twice now i don't get it every time it's played i just reread the card over and over again and you know aaron likes to act like he knows what it does but the first time you played it he played it wrong and I don't think he and did. It's revisionist history. He did. Uh, we decided it <laughs> after the fact, but that's oh, okay. okay. Um, I, I've told you that this is one of my favorite decks that you run. Um, I really like the interaction that you get. The fact that you can build Auntie up so large and at any point just drop all the counters and hit someone in the face with 20, 30 damage. I really appreciate that. And I think the Vigilance was a necessary addition, but I, I, I still feel like... And I haven't seen you run the deck that much lately, but combat damage is underutilized for this deck, I think, because it's a flyer. And our table criminally underuses flyers for the most part. I would agree with you. So one card that I threw into my suggestions is Assault Strobe, which is a, a one mountain that says target creature gains double strike until the end of the turn. If you have Auntie up as an 11 11. Mm-hmm. And you're going to swing with flying. You're just going to kill someone for one yeah. mountain. 
And those are the types of easy combat tricks that I think you could add into the deck as obviously that your primary goal is not to swing at someone and kill them. But if you've got the vigilance already and, and there's someone that just doesn't have any flyers, that's an easy out. And I think those are the kinds of things that you could look at for still relatively inexpensive. I know some of my other suggestions are more expensive, like commander's plate, which is one colorless. And it says equip future gets plus three, plus three and has protection from each other color. That's not in its colors, commander identities. That's the kind of card that I find is beneficial in any mono colored deck. Yeah, for sure. You're getting protection from four other colors, but that is a $40 card. So this oh my god, is, it is? Yeah. Oh my yeah, geez. Really you, you've refined this deck pretty extensively, and it does a very niche thing, so I feel like you've hit a lot of the high points in the deck. Um, so those are the kinds of things I would just look at, I guess. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. There's a, there's a weird balance, I think, that happens with this deck where I feel like if I get off to a good stride really early on, I'm in a weird predicament where I can usually take somebody out if it's a lot, this we usually run between what three to five group man pods in in, in a given time. I've found this deck absolutely does a better job in that three man ring, right? Because I, I mean, if I can kill somebody quick, then I just have somebody else to deal with. Five people, and I know we've run into this a lot with a lot of other decks that rely very heavy on pumping a massive amount of damage with your commander. You take somebody out and then the whole table all of a sudden you know it just you just get turned on um i I think this deck does a good job of doing a lot of damage to everybody at the same time i know i've gotten a card out um spell shock it's a great card in this deck I, i really find this card super useful um it's a Three uh, three cost, two colorless, one red enchantment that says whenever a player successfully casts a spell, spell shock deals two damage to him, to him or her. Um, so fitting with my theme, I'm doing damage to myself, but everybody else who's usually slinging spells is taking a lot of damage too. So I don't necessarily have to rely on Auntie to deal damage to those players that are slinging a lot of spells. Um, but I do run into an issue where, you know, only have a few ways to protect auntie from people i mean i can give her hex proof with um uh i don't even know if i have it in this deck uh, you got swift foot boots in here i do have swift foot yeah so swift foot will give it hex proof i do have deflecting swat um in this deck which is a red staple that says if you control your commander you can cast it without paying its mana cost you can choose new targets for target spell or ability that's normally a two colorless one red um and I have another card in here too called Bolt Bend that does a really similar thing. Uh, that's a three colorless, one red instant that says the spell costs three less to cast if you control a creature with power four or greater. Usually Auntie's well past that. Um, then change the target uh, of a target spell or ability with a single target. So that can usually deflect a couple different things at any given time. Um, but I mean... That's hoping that I draw them. I mean, I do have a couple of the um, the looting mechanics in this deck to kind of draw cards with, but I'm not. I don't have a huge draw mechanic in in the deck to get me everything out of my my deck. Um, but yeah, it's um it's trying to find a good balance between how much damage I should take versus how aggressive I should be with swinging with her and and dealing damage. 
I, I think that makes total sense. Another card that I was looking at that I thought could be interesting in this deck, which is a, a newer, at least I think it's just from Doctor Who, and that's Sonic Screwdriver. I was looking There's at that. Three colorless artifact that you can tap for one man of any color, but then it has can pay one and tap it to untap a target artifact which if you've got mana crypto that that isn't ever going to hurt you yeah um you can pay two and tap it to scry one which i'm i'm not that fond of scrying but in a mm-hmm. pinch it could be useful but and importantly you can pay three and tap it and target creature can't be blocked this turn yeah so that's just another opportunity if, if you, i saw that you've got like rogues passage which is a, a land that you can pay for and target creature can't be blocked this turn yeah if you need to to pump out that combat damage i think that's a viable option um you already yeah. do have a lot of artifacts in the deck though you have 11 artifacts so i don't know and i don't think i would necessarily switch that one out for any of the ones i'm seeing here but it it just depends on how the games are feeling and especially if you're in a higher man pod because what i've experienced from this deck is you're definitely going to kill one person easily you're going to kill one person but then it's <clears> you remove all those counter counters from auntie what yeah. are you going to do after yeah, that where, where it's, it's hard to build it back up again so yeah that's why i think I, uh, that combat damage can be useful yeah and i mean i did see your suggestion for or was it Somebody suggested for Loxit on Warhammer in this deck, and I did have it at one point to give Auntie Lifelink because of that reason. I mean, like you said, I mean, if I remove counters from her to deal damage and I've done it to one person, well, now I've resourced half of my life, probably, maybe more, to do something to somebody else. And now I'm at 15 life with Auntie at nothing, and I'm trying to figure out what my end game is going to be. Um, so I think a little bit of lifelink in this deck would definitely go a long way to get to that point. Um, especially because does she do the damage? She does, right? Yeah. 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 Does the damage. So, I mean, I could essentially give her lifelink, remove the counters, gain that back. So it, it does, I think benefit itself highly in the deck. Um, to put that in um there was was another card in here that i i recently put in that i really really liked um i think it was madcap experiment was one of these cards that i just put in um that's a sorcery it's a four cost three colorless one red that says reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal an artifact card. Put that card on the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in any random order. And Madcap Experiment deals damage to you equal to the number of cards revealed this way. I just think that's a good way to get something on the board while also taking a bunch of damage to hopefully boost Dante. So I think I just put that one in here in the last month or two. I just hope you shuffled well because I've seen someone try a trick like that before and just never draw the card and just die turn one. Oh yeah it's not right aaron <laughs> yeah it can happen for sure yep. it definitely can happen um yeah and i mean there's some cards on this list that are definitely on the chopping block um i have storm kiln artist in this deck which at the beginning i thought well it'd be a nice way to get treasure tokens storm kiln artist is a Four converted mana cost, three color, this one red, two, two, that says uh, he gets plus one, plus zero for each artifact you control. And then he's got whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a treasure token. I thought at the time I was going to need more ways to ramp mana, but after playing it, I just haven't had an issue with 
needing or, or like run into an issue where I haven't had the mana resources to play the cards in my hand. So I just don't know if drawing him late game is going to really affect me more or less. I mean, it would probably be not great to draw him late game at this point. Um, and I just, I think I've drawn him a few times in my hand and I just haven't found myself playing him or wanting to play him. So, I mean, he's definitely on the cusp of getting swapped out for something else here. I I can understand why he might be on the cutting block, but at the same time, you do run quite a few artifacts, and he's not a bad blocker if you make him a six, you know, a six two because you've got four artifacts out. Yeah, something like that might still be viable. I guess what what is your protection against people swinging at you? Like, what do you see? You know, that's that's another issue as well. I mean, I don't have a ton of, you know, I have the um, Stuffy Doll, obviously. Um, that's a good one for a blocker. It's an indestructible blocker. I do have Brash Taunter as well. Um, I love that, that one. Is, uh, uh, yeah, it's a five cost, four colorless, one red, one, one, indestructible, kind of the same thing. Whenever uh, it's dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target opponent. And then it has a fight ability, so you can pay three, uh, two colorless, one red to tap it, and then Brash Taunter fights another target creature. I, I love that card for sure as a blocker. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've run in. I, I do. I did put a few gold mechanics in this deck just to kind of hope that it would stave away some people with the big creatures attacking me. So I have Agitator Ant in this deck, which I found actually is really amazing in this deck. Um, it's a three cost, two colorless, one red, two two. Uh, insect that says at the beginning of your end step each player may put two plus one plus one counters on a creature they control and then goad each creature that had counters put on it this way which goad is until your next turn those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able um so way to get counters on auntie for sure um but hopefully um block somebody or, or have somebody else goad their own creature I, I will say, I think every time I've seen this card played, and you're not the only person that runs this card, I don't think. Yeah. Everyone always takes up the offer to put the plus one, plus one counter out, which is a little bit surprising to me. But yeah. at the same time, I'm also putting the counters on. So, yeah. It's and just then, a... Yeah. I have another one too, and you're bother, bothersome Quasit. Um, that's kind of the same thing. It's a 3 2, uh, two colorless, one red with menace that says goaded creatures your opponents. Control can't block, and then whenever you cast a non-creature spell, um, you can go target creature. So I like that in this deck too. I do cast quite a few, you know, non-creature spells in this Actually, too. So I can. I really like that card in this deck, especially because you're also taking away their ability to block. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to see you run more goat. I guess disrupt decorum, which is two colorless, two mountains, and you goat all creatures you don't control. Um, Coronation of Chaos, which is two colorless and a mountain, and you go up to three creatures and they can't block this turn. That sort of thing, I think, to, can work both defensively and offensively for you, because then everybody swings, they can't swing at you, and then you can tee off on somebody, and if you can do that multiple turns in a row, then they have to attack somebody other than you, you kill somebody, they still can't yeah. attack you even though you're wide open you do it again um <clears throat> i i think that would solve help solve some of the problems with your um lack of defense 
Um, I think potentially even something. I'm trying to think of his name. I don't, I don't have him on my list. The um, I can't think of. Him. He's an elf shaman, four colorless in a mountain. He's a one five, I believe, and he has uh, creatures with power less than him. Are oh, Baloth? Yes, Baloth. Yeah. Thank you. Um, him, I don't know. I mean, he, you don't have a whole lot to get him big in this deck, potentially. You do have some equipment, I guess. But um, I do think something like that might not hurt. If you, you'd have to tweak the deck more to, yeah. to help with that. But I do think that the, the shortcoming of this deck is that, to you, as you've explained, you are essentially unless you get a really good start and people decide to ignore you like you're gonna, you're probably going to kill at least one person and then mm-hmm. probably going to lose shortly thereafter um we we've gotten into a lot of games where i feel like um auntie gets really big and then people are just too scared to uh piss you off and so they don't do anything about it but yeah. Uh, so then, and I know I've I've at least one, once or twice bitten the bullet and just said, "Yeah, screw it, I'm gonna attack you," so that you kill me and remove all the counters from Auntie, and then you're kind of stuck dead in the water because now Auntie was like a twenty-eight, twenty-eight, but now she's a two-two again. And yeah. then how do you rev that back up in a command in a few turns when people have built their board state up? Um, I do so. Yeah, I think goading would be good. Other than that, I mean, yeah, man, it's a tight list. It's a really tight list. Um, I do wonder if you have too much to deal damage to yourself. I mean, I get that's the point. Um, yeah. I, I don't think – I hesitate to say that. I'm, I'm really just looking for uh, things to criticize right now, if I'm being honest <laughs> with you. I, I think ultimately, like I said, it's a, it's a pretty tight list. I do think the gold would help. Um, other than that, uh, I, I just think <clears throat> the other weakness with this deck, and it kind of goes hand in hand with – what I mentioned before um, is that people really just have to take Auntie off the board. Yeah, you don't have a lot of synergy in this deck without Auntie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you'll deal a lot of damage, but like, it's not in a way. If you don't have Auntie out, like, you're not getting as much. You're not getting the benefits of all this pain without her out. So if people just keep Auntie off the board. I mean, you're going to go down just with everybody else. So I, I, I've suggested stuff like um, War Elemental. It's a 1-1 one, one for three mountains. And when it comes into play, you have to sacrifice it unless an opponent was dealt damage this turn. You'll have no problem with that. And then it says, whenever damage is dealt to an opponent, put that many plus one, plus one counters on War Elemental. I mean, you're dealing so much damage all around the table. This thing is going to quickly spiral out of control just as quickly, if not more quickly than... Um, auntie yeah. it's kind of like an inverse auntie and so mm-hmm. that's just another way to give you um a bit of a threat on the table because then you could do stuff like fling which i also have on the list which is a colorless and a mountain it's an instant spell that has as an additional cost to cast it you have to sacrifice a creature and then it deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power to target creature or player um, I like this as sort of a tricky maneuver where you can swing off with Auntie without Vigilance, and then people might go, oh, well, she's tapped out. I can't, they're not going to be able to do anything about that, and then you can fling her if need be. Um, that, And then stuff like, uh, I know Red Decks, a really popular card is Underworld Breach, which is an enchantment. 
for a colorless and a mountain. And it says each non-land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost plus exile three other cards from your graveyard. And um, you may, the escape is you may cast the card from your graveyard for the escape cost. And at the beginning of the end step, you sacrifice it. So this just kind of gives all of the spells in your graveyard the ability to be cast again. So if you need to use fling or you need to use um deflecting swat or anything like that like just giving you basically letting you double dip into the good stuff that you might need to use early on um but like i said man other than that the list is really tight um i am surprised you don't have a mana geyser on there which is three colorless and two mountains for sorcery that says add one mountain for each tap land your opponent's control in a mono red list i just feel like that is unparalleled value you're gonna pay five but the the chances are you could triple your mana and i think i had it in there at one point but i can't remember what sure it was that i took it out for Mm -hmm. um at any point but yeah absolutely a fantastic card you might have mentioned this but do you feel late game that you're running out of cards in hand yeah because i'm i mean i have the same problem when i just run primarily red decks but so, for instance, I think one way to help you out with that late game, Aaron suggested cards like Light Up the Stage, yep. which says Exile the Top Two. It's two colorless and a mountain. It has Spectacle for a mountain, which says you may cast a spell for its spectacle cost rather than its mana cost if an opponent lost life this turn. And then Exile the Top Two cards of your library, and until the end of your next turn, you may play those cards. Yeah. We've talked about a couple of these when we did my deck Prosper. I specifically like when the wording says until the end of your next turn, you can play them because you're burning your mana on your current turn, but have yeah. either you're flipping up cards that you can play this turn or you can cast them next turn. And there's a couple other red ones that are, are pretty viable. Um, for instance, I really like Inspired Tinkering, which is four colorless and a mountain that says exile the top three cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You can play those cards and you create three treasure tokens. So it might even allow you to ramp the next turn. And then the other one, which this is a red staple and it's another pretty expensive card, but, but Jessica's will, which says if you control your commander, uh, when you cast this spell, you can choose both add a mountain for each card and target opponent's hand and exile the top three cards, of your library, and you can play them this turn. The, while you don't get to play them next turn, the benefit is you're getting mana. potentially yeah. seven mana in yeah. return for two colorless and a mountain. Um, but just things that allow you to see the, the top of your deck. And that's, red's way to do it and yeah it's unfortunate absolutely. that you're gonna have to exile those cards but oftentimes it's what it's gonna take to win a game yeah i do have i mean quite a few loot mechanics in this deck and i do i did put neheb in this uh neheb dreadhorde champion it's a two colorless uh two red five four with trample that says whenever he deals combat damage to a player planeswalker you can discard any number of cards if you do draw that many cards and add that much red mana until end of turn, you don't lose his mana. Has steps and phases end. Um, I don't think I've ever gotten to play him yet, um, but he's one of those that I, mean, I would hope to get out to to hopefully start wheeling my hand a little bit to to get what I need into it. But yeah, I do like both of those suggestions and those exile triggers to to play those cards. I think that's a good, really good suggestion. One of the cards on Bill's list that I have not seen before that I really like is wild ricochet 
that's too colorless <laughs> and two mountains that say Great you may card. choose new targets for target instant or sorcery and then copy that spell and you can choose new targets for the copy oh, at yeah. first i was like wow card, huh? <laughs> four is quite a bit but you're you're gonna choose new targets and you're gonna copy it. That that, that uh, does everything I want to do in life. That card lives rent free in my nightmares um, every time because <laughs> I've seen Aaron play that card Double I think millions of times in my dreams, um, and it's always on things that I play in my head at least. <laughs> but it's always it's always such a value engine when he pumps it out too because yeah. I mean he gets that too. So or you know whoever he casts, yeah, it, I, mean, I think. Such I, a good card. I think that you know you can say that it's four, and that's a that is a, a steep price to hold up mana. But if you're running something like Auntie, where people are going to have to respond to it, you're paying four. Um, let's just say somebody generous gifts it, which is three. But now you just paid four to essentially cast generous gift twice. Generous gift is two colorless and a planes. You destroy target permanent and its creator makes a three three elephant to- creature token. Yeah, and so if you cast wild ricochet for four, you're essentially getting six mana to cast two generous gifts. Yeah. So I think at a certain point, especially with Auntie, like at a certain point, um, you know, I I have a, a Skullbriar the Walking Grave deck as well that operates in a similar fashion i don't think it needs nearly as much to run just because you know you need to be um dealing damage yourself to get onto big but at a certain point you don't need a lot of mana to do things and so then you are able to just hold up all that mana to keep her safe so i would say that is a fantastic i know will's uh, will's reversal will's wild reversal I think it's called Will's Fortunate Reversal. Uh, something like that. Will's Reversal, I guess it's just called. Um, is another one where it's two colorless and a mountain for an instant that says choose target spell or ability with one or more targets, roll a d20, and add the greatest power among creatures you control, which will be a lot. Um, one through 14, you may choose new targets for that abil- spell or ability, or 15 plus, you may choose new targets for that spell or ability, then copy it. So it's basically Wild Ricochet for one less because yeah. more often than not auntie is going to be at least a 10 so then you have a you know a 75 percent chance of copying, of copying it. it yeah for yep. sure yeah absolutely i mean yeah i i think i run into the the trap that i i always want to play all of my cards and i think at least in this deck, I come into a situation where I maybe play too much or I play mm-hmm. too aggro on it, um, where I could just be holding some mana back to maybe protect onto you or use some sort of instant to deal damage in response to something happening. Um, I think a lot of times I put myself on the offensive with this deck, which obviously it leads itself to that, but um, I think maybe playing with a little bit more defensive mindset um, would be beneficial especially depending on the part of the game we're in. I mean, it might be good to kind of build slow a little bit and and see how she goes. I mean, I have a couple cards in here that don't do an insane amount of damage to myself, but still, you know, slowly ramp onto you up like Orcish Artillery. uh, So three, uh, one colorless, two red, one three that has a tap ability that deals two damage to target creature or player and then three damage to me. and I've got a couple of those variants in there from older sets that do similar things. So just something like that that maybe I can get out to slowly amp damage up that's not 
20 damage in one swing just to you know i i would say though that those i don't think you can play a slow game with Omti. That's yeah, I, I think I think building, <clears throat> taking some of those cards out, like Orcish Artillery, uh, or at least the double effects you have Orcish Artillery and Orcish Cannoneers, which are literally the same card, and our Goblin Artillery, they are all the same card. They are all one colorless, two red pips uh, to tap them and yeah. deal two damage to a target creature or player and three damage to you. They all even have the same bond. They're all one, three, so just reprints on the same card, different names. Um, that incremental damage in any game that I've ever played with Auntie, you're pl- like, you can't have the incremental damage because you're already playing cards that are going to be slamming damage on like your spell shocks, like your mana barbs, like your descent into Avernuses. Yeah. And I, I think ultimately you're going to look at some of these incremental cards we can call them or you know sort of middle of the road cards and i think getting rid of those four more defensive cards because i wouldn't look at it in terms of i need to play more defensively and play it slower i see the defense of this as being i've put a cinder block on the gas pedal and we're barreling towards a cliff and i need cards to keep people away from the brakes yeah and because like I said, people are going to want to remove your Descent into Avernus. They're going to want to remove Mana Barbs or Spellshock, things that are hurting them. They're going to want to remove Auntie. Um, so keeping things away from that, yeah, I think it's going to be stuff like Wild Ricochet, Will's Reversal, your Deflecting Swat, uh, and then just not making your moves until you have ways to back them up. But yeah. Without being like, okay, well, I'll just try to creep along and, and try to blow something. Because like I said, you're going to play stuff like Zozu the Punisher, which is one colorless, two red mount, two red mana for a 2-2 two, two Goblin Warrior, who says, whenever a land enters the battlefield, Zozu the Punisher deals two damage to that land's controller. Nobody's going to like that, and they're not no, going to tolerate yeah. it. So they're going to try to remove that sort of stuff, and I just don't think you're going to get away with like sneaking under the radar for long. So yeah. I think it's just about getting out ahead as early as possible and then trying to keep people off of you. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're totally right there. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like what Martin had said and a little bit of what Aaron had said. You know, one of the things that you generally don't do because you don't like to attack, but you you don't use the combat step as much. And like this Mm -hmm. deck, I mean, Auntie Flies, whatever, you can double down on some of that damage. I mean, even just looking at a good amount of your creatures have that synergy of it's going to either deal some damage or put some plus one plus one counters on somebody. Um, so, I mean, we mentioned that I had talked about locks on Warhammer because one of the things that happens to you or your partner, if you're playing two headed giants is you uh, <laughs> risk it for the biscuit and you fly too close to the sun and it uh, backfires. So having, finding some way to work some of that lifelink in there, um, ends up being pretty helpful. Um, and then, I mean, you have so many great ways. The There is a land that I had found that uh, it's Barbarian Ring, where when you just saw tap that. Yeah, add a mountain awesome. to your mana pool, it deals one damage to you. I mean, <laughs> I love that. that works out pretty well. That's like, this is like the one deck where it really makes sense. And But I think that, you know, you can lean into some of the, some of that combat stuff and, 
I mean, it's fun to get aunties super big, and like that's the main point of the deck. But um, I put in the Red Terror in here just as something that you can use for combat. Um, it's a uh, it's a four converted mana cost, uh, three colorless and one mountain. It's a four three where whenever a red source you control deals damage to one or more permanents and or players put a plus one plus encounter on the red terror. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. going to get real big in this deck. Um, yeah. Because that's what every card does, is dealing damage to something. Um, and so that's another creature that you can put in there that I think if you kind of build some of this up and use that combat phase a little bit, you know, you could even look at if you really wanted to lean into it for like a late game type of thing, um, I mean, we've talked about Karlak, Fury of Avernus, giving you that double combat. Um, Aki Battle Squad is another one where it's... Um, hold on, I've got it up here. I didn't put it in the deck. It's six converted mana cost. It's a 6-6 six, six Goblin Samurai um, that reads, whenever one or more modified creatures you control attacks, untap all modified creatures you control. After this combat phase, there's an additional combat phase. This ability triggers only once, once each turn. So it's got... It's a little more pricey than Carlock. It's got some, you know, limiting factors, but modifications are auras, equipment, and plus one plus one counters. So yeah. I mean, you've got a bunch of equipment that you could space out if you had creatures that you're attacking with. You've got plus one plus one counters on Auntie, which is really the big one because if you can double down, you know, even if you have her at a ten ten, that's thirty points that you could do in one turn by having two combats and then take your counters off and deal 10 more damage. So yeah. you could do that. And then, you know, one of the other things that you have, you've got what, 11 instants and 16 sorceries. And you have primarily in the games that I've played against this deck, use those to hit yourself. <laughs> but this is also a great way to control the board a little bit. And knock some of this stuff down so maybe auntie doesn't get to be a 28 28 but you know you've got a lot of damage here that you can start pinging kind of thread that a little bit to remove those threats to make your yeah. combat a little more more worthwhile and it really it's just one of those double duty things of if you've got this card you want to use it there's not a good target on somebody else's board then you hit yourself with it if you don't want to hit yourself with it you control their board and do a little bit of extra work i mean otherwise this deck was super tough to do because it is a tight list i mean it does exactly what you want it to to do it does whatever uh, if i was going to spend money you could put throne of eldraine in there it's a five um cost artifact that as it enters you choose a color and you can tap to add four mana of the chosen color um, and spend this mana only to ca cast monocolored spells of that color and then it has a pay three and tap to draw two cards, spend only mana of the chosen color to activate this ability. So it's got a little bit of draw. It's got just a, a ton of mana that you get out of there. So, I mean, effectively, it costs you one on the first. It's a later game, later stage play, but it costs yeah. you one effectively if you turn around and use it to cast something else. That's crazy. I've never seen that card before. Um, yeah, that's out of the Wilds of um, Eldraine. Super cool card. I'd not seen that either, but that also, I mean, paying three to draw two cards is not a bad trade-off no. whatsoever. If you're late game, I mean, that's that's really good card. I understand why it's almost $20, but it it feels like a good addition if you're looking to make those final touches. And yeah, I wanted absolutely. to give you a little bit of credit on a card that I had not seen before. 
round two, which is three colorless and a mountain, uh, untapped target creature. And after this main phase, there's an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. And it has flashback for two colorless and a mountain. For those, for our listeners, that's a secret layer reskin of Seize the Day. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's a really good, really good card in a deck where you're essentially making a Voltron that you're going to be, you could have two, like Bill was saying, you can have two combat phases and you can flash it back for three, which yeah. seems absurdly cheap. I, so, have, uh, I have one more in the Seclist Savage Beating too that I really like. That's um, yeah. three colorless, two red, an instant that has an entwine cost. So if I pay an extra one and a red, I can do both. Um, and creatures you control gain double strike until the end of the turn, or and or and untap all creatures you control after this phase. There's an additional combat phase. I, that, that's a fantastic yeah, I mean, card the, as well. That's essentially just a, a finishing move. I mean, yeah. if you if you got seven and you get that off, chances are you're in a position to win the game. So I, I love that card in the deck too. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at like the stats, number one about the deck and how you built it. I mean it. You're under three converted mana cost. You're at a two point nine. Um, so I mean, it's efficient. You do have uh, four permanents with a mana value of zero. You've got deflecting SWAT. That's probably going to cost you zero. So like there, there's some things that this is a uh, a cheap mana deck. Not a cheap deck, but a cheap mana deck to play. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is cool. I mean, it's efficient. Um, you have only played this deck twice in uh, season three. In playgroup, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I played it quite a bit before we switched. I think I played it like, God, it was, it was quite a bit. I feel like like four or five times before we switched playgroup. Um, yeah, and and I mean those games. I was kind of looking back. It looked like they were some rougher games. Um, just in terms of. I think the matchups probably weren't that great. But I mean overall it it performs. It does what it is. It's a threat on the table most times. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a tight deck list, man. Yeah, so I, far I mean it's just been fun to run. I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean, it, it's just a fun deck to pilot and kind of see what it can do at the table. Um but yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite stories from our Magic Weekend came from you running this deck, and that's when someone watched Wheel of Misfortune hit the table and then oh, don't talk about secretly this. <laughs> bid fifteen hundred and to just me. killed themselves. <laughs> and that was early in the game. I mean, it's a three cost card. Yeah, yeah, um, that was definitely an unexpected turn um, <laughs> in that game that I wasn't anticipating. Um, but hey. I mean, I got a kill <laughs> for that. You, uh, it was, you did uh, the biggest uh, yeah. blue balls I've ever experienced on a game, but yeah. That's the biggest? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because I've I definitely mean, seen you about to infinite off and someone take your turn away from you. Eh, I mean, that's just a good play, I think. Potato, <laughs> potato tomato. Um, you did play this deck nine times in Season 2. You got one win off of that, so I guess between seasons two and three, you are one in eleven, or one out of eleven. Only way is up, I think, at this point. So yeah, I mean, and it's 
And it hasn't been because you're not in a position to win. It's just been because it takes three to four people to, to beat you down. <laughs> no, I, I really do like the suggestions on, uh, at least from what everybody said, but kind of replacing some things for those like wild ricochets and wheels reversals and stuff like that. I do think that'll help out a lot. Um, I, I did have a salt strobe in this deck at one point, Martin, and I think you've convinced me to put it back in. Um, that one cost double strike can be a instant kill. Um, and that, that sh- isn't uh, something that should be, you know, <laughs> just dismissed. <laughs> um, and I, I do like your your uh, lifelink suggestion here as well, Bill. I think maybe combining a few of those things can maybe take this deck, deck to the next level uh, as far as compete level at the table. Um, I think it does compete at the table. That's not what I'm saying. I think just maybe a little bit more consistent with um, keeping up with the entire table for the entire game um, with, with those suggestions. And I think there's just one last card that I really have to recommend. And just to circle back on it. You, so you have 17 creatures in the stack, 18, including auntie. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just seeing kind of the same situation that I saw with Scott super friends deck that it's like, Someone's going to hit you right in the mouth if you don't put blockers out. Uh-huh, and unfortunately, so I love Brash Taunter and I love Stuffy Doll. Unfortunately, they don't always stay on the table, despite the fact that they have Indestructible. I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> but something simple, a lot of times I, I have a deck, Gearson, that doesn't have a lot of creatures in it. And I don't have any flyers and that hinders me. But if you have Auntie Big, no one's going to send a flyer at you anyway. So in my mind, you need ground control. And a card like Attempt with Vengeance could be helpful. It's an X cost and a mountain that says create X 1-1 one, one red ele- elemental creature tokens with haste. And then each opponent can create X, the same X 1-1 one, one ele- elemental creature tokens. But for each opponent who does, you create that many again. So if you create two and an opponent creates two, you're essentially creating four. And oftentimes no one is going to create those i've never had an opponent create the the tokens and that's fine but at least it's going to give you maybe four or five or six bodies to block if you need it and you've already got the sky covered and if it's late game it might just be enough yeah absolutely that's a good good suggestion i didn't even think about i mean you know yeah i didn't even think to put a mass amount of chump blocker in this deck either. I mean, that's just a good way to do it. And you're only wasting, wasting one slot in the deck. It, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, I mean, to, to Aaron's point too, you're, I mean, he is right. I have basically three of the same creature in this deck doing the same functionality um, that they m- don't need to be. I mean, I have multiple ways to deal damage to myself in this deck. So I think looking at, the effective ways to deal damage to myself might be a little like a, a better way to start that and then kind of whittling down maybe what doesn't need to be in there. So 100%. I, I, I would just say I've never seen you have a problem deal damage to yourself with this deck. So no, in fact, <laughs> it's, it, Bill knows it's not fun to play two headed, um, giant does. I loved it. I'm not sure what your problem is. Hey guys, we're playing two headed giant. I'm playing auntie. Oh, that seems like a hey, mistake, but no. whatever. No, no, come on. We didn't lose that game. Um, Nick, I did want to ask you, because I can't 
remember all of the games that you've played with this, but do you feel as though um, you've got two cards in here that I was curious if you felt they were necessary or if they were overkill or maybe if they were doing too much work? Um, mm -hmm. And that's those cards are City on Fire and Dictate of the Twin Gods. Um, so their enchantments, uh, Dictate of the Twin Gods, is um, three colorless and two mountains. City on Fire is five colorless and three mountains. Um, also has Convoke. Um, Dictate gives you double damage mm -hmm. and uh, from permanence. Um, or, or if it would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage to the permanent or player instead. City on Fire is the same, except it deals triple. So I, just purely because in my brain, my fear would be where I'm dealing damage to myself, because I actually run um, uh, Dictate of the Twin Gods currently in Agar. City on Fire is going in in Agar 2.0. Um, or, you know... Uh, spoiler season here um but got a nice smirk there <laughs> but i feel like my fear would be dealing that double or triple damage would get away from me and put me into that yeah. danger will robinson levels real quick these are interesting cards on my list right now because they are currently my pain points in this deck um so i'm happy you brought this up um currently I don't think City on Fire fits in this deck at all because, one, I don't have a lot of creatures that I convoke with. I mean, I convoke, but I mean, I want to tap Auntie, so I don't want to convoke with Auntie. So I'm paying eight for that card usually. And like your point, I mean, I'm probably dealing triple damage to myself more than I'm dealing it to anybody else. Um, so it's tough. Plus, if I have City on Fire in my hand and I have literally anything else in this deck in my hand, I'm looking at the other cards to play. City on Fire is usually a dead card for me, um, depending on, well, really any point in the game, to be honest. Um, Dictator of the Twin Gods is a little different. Um, I find myself, I think I've played it a couple times, and it's definitely ramped up the game, but I mean, I'd rather play something like Descent that does it you know, just static amount of damage. I just find that when I have these two cards in my hand, I'm more focused on playing consistent damage cards instead of wanting to multiply damage with them, if that makes sense. Um, so they're definitely they're definitely pain points for me right now. They're they're the two cards that if I draw into them, I'm questioning when i should play them or if i should play them um which just make me not want to deal with it at the table at the point where i'm at usually um depending on the time the, the point we're at in the game i think so i agree with everything you and bill said city on fire i see as a dead card in this deck the way it's constructed because you don't have a lot of creatures yeah cost eight and the difference between dealing triple and double damage probably is not going to be what what wins you a game. Yeah. I like Dictate of the Twin Gods if I were keeping one or the other. One, because it 
costs three less, but also it has a flash ability, and that equals combat trick. You could swing for 11 with Auntie and then just flop that out and kill somebody unexpectedly, and that's always a lot of fun. They don't appreciate it as much, but it is pretty entertaining. Um, and it just gives you a little bit more maneuverability. Obviously, you don't want to hold up five mana to do that, but you you know, it's it's not like holding up five mana to maybe cast an instant on someone else's turn. You know yeah. if you're swinging, you have your second main phase if you aren't able to do it. I, so I, I don't have a problem with that card in the deck. I will say I've seen what happens when you get Descent into Avernus and Dictate of the Twin Gods both out on the field, and that didn't go that well for you, at least online play. I think yeah. it killed you pretty quickly, but uh-huh. it was yeah. entertaining for everyone. Yeah, and thinking back to Bill's point on how many playtimes I've played, there's 11, and I've won once. I would love to know the stats, the amount of times that I've killed myself based on damage that cards myself have done to me like spell shock or descent doing damage on upkeep or anything like that i feel like this deck is very much how close to the sun can i fly um and usually i just burn up i mean usually i'm burning up um usually it's too close at some yeah. point usually it's too close is for sure but yeah, would... to your point i think city on fire is definitely getting cut from this list i would guess that the stats would show you've killed yourself 11 times, 10 times, because you've won once, because a Nick Dutter special when he's running this deck is, guys, let me get to my turn so I can kill myself. <laughs> I have said that a couple times. Um, <laughs> and we let you do it. And you've always been a man of your word. You do end up killing yourself. And to your credit, before that two-headed giant game, you said, well, we're probably going to kill ourselves here. Yeah. Now, he didn't have a say in that. He had no choice whatsoever. Yeah, was just, but just along for the ride. I think, going back to these two enchantments, I think I do really like your point on Flash being part of Dictate's um, enchantment ability. The other reason I want to keep it in is is I have um, <laughs> I have Heartless Hizuku in this deck, and I would love the ability to just take everybody out at the same time with it um, at some point in, in my gameplay. Um, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, but yep. hey, I mean, we all have dreams. But you can't live them if you don't try. That's true. Um, cool. Well, I think that's wrapping up this deck. Before we finish, I wanted to turn the tables just a hair, um, take it off this deck. And so we're all kind of working on a project right now. Um, I think, I mean, Aaron and Martin, uh, Martin's been done for about two months now, I think. Aaron, he got his stuff today. My stuff got ordered today. Nick, I don't know what you're doing. But we're currently doing our Secret Santa um, deck exchange. Um, and so we drew names out of a hat. hat. Um, everybody is building a deck for somebody. And I just wanted to... Um, prompt you guys to all tell me exactly who you have um and spoil it right here so then we'll see who's listening to the podcast not what i'm looking for what i'm looking for is um without giving anything away did you do anything differently when building this deck um you know we set budgets that kind of stuff um did you what steps did you go about to pick a commander um and try to build the deck and like 
just kind of walk me through the process if you've got anything, because I think that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm walking my cousin through building his first deck and stuff. And he's kind of, he's kind of drowning in all of the possibilities of what commanders might he find interesting in that. And so I think that, you know, from commander selection to just card selection, did, did you guys try anything different? Did you do your tried and true method building the deck? What'd you do? Who are you starting with? Uh, I'll I'll start with Martin because he's calm, cool, and collected. So, I'm going to get fried for this. Okay. (laughs) So, yes, I have already sleeved up my Christmas deck. Um, Sleeved? I I have it sleeved up. Um, He's shuffling about this like two weeks ago. So, it it wasn't that quick. But uh, I had an idea of a deck that I thought would be really fun to play. It's a niche mechanic. And I thought that I could build a fairly interesting deck with it. And I was looking at building it before this Secret Santa idea even came up. Is so it dungeon delving? <laughs> thankfully, no. Um, I had an idea in the back of my head the entire time. What I'll tell you is that I ended up liking that deck so much that I'm keeping it and I'm building a new one. So the <laughs> steps that I've gone through right now, and I'll plug uh EDH Rec is a a valuable tool for new deck builders. It's not something that I utilize that often. And I would warn people not to use it just to build decks, but for looking through possible commanders, it's a good option because you can click top commanders. You can, I, I went through 750 commanders last night to try to find one that I thought would be a good option. And when I'm building any kind of deck, I'm, I'm always trying to look for a mechanic, one that I find interesting, but that isn't that mainstream. So I've found a couple options on EDH Rec, and now I'm going through Scryfall, looking at different cards that I think would interact or be fun, but are also within the budget, because I think our our deck is $30 max. Mm, It's 30 to 40, I think. Okay, Aaron broke the budget. Okay. 50? We said 50 all in with deck box and sleeves. Ugh. It wouldn't have mattered. Um, I, to, to, to Martin's point on EDH Rec, uh, one of the things that I use it for, because I, I also don't use it too often, um, but if I'm feeling really antsy about looking for inspiration, they have a random button. And I like that more than Scryfall, because Scryfall will just give you a random card, which can be fun, but EDH Rec, if you hit the random button, it will only bring up legendary creatures. So you could just you could just keep hitting the random button over and over and over again, and it'll pull up random legendary creatures until you find one that strikes your fancy. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons why I would warn against using EDH Rec for too much, especially when you're newer, I just think you don't... It is a, it is a tough skill to learn, but also I think if you rely too much on EDH Rec, you're never going to learn it. So for example, um, a deck that I just thought of in the last 10 minutes is a Jorn God of Winter deck. He's two colorless and a forest, but he has a blue-black on the backside, so he's a he's a uh, three-color commander. Um, that must have been the one that Nate picked for his Secret Santa. Um, just been talking about it, but it's fine. <laughs> you just came okay. up with it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I, oh, hang on, pause. I didn't say that I invented the deck. I said, here's one that I just saw in the last 10 minutes. Um, but he's a mono green creature, but he has the soul tie blue, black, green colors. 
whenever he attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. If you scroll through EDH rec on the creatures, then they usually post like the top 50 creatures. Nowhere on that list is a nifty card that I'm using in a different deck, which is Omnath. Uh, I can't think of which one it is, but it's the mono green one that states that green mana doesn't empty from your mana pool ever. So that's nowhere present on the list, but that is a incredibly potent card in a list that could run more green than blue and black. And you can generate a ton more green mana and snowball, pun intended. Um, so it's just one of those things where it's like if you're only using EDH rec, you don't really know what you're missing, and you don't really know what you're not what you should be looking for uh, necessarily. So I do definitely caution um, against that. Uh, my last point to Nick will also be that you put 16 commanders a day into Discord. There's literally true. not a commander that people could pick that you haven't looked at. That's at this point, or he, that Aaron has built. At this point, Less. he essentially um, is the EDH rec random button. Yeah, I'm. I'm really happy you guys brought that up because I usually solely use EDH rec as my tool to build. Um, and that's I don't really use too much else. I use uh, EDH rec to build. I use Mana Box to get everything in at first and kind of tool it around a little bit, and then I export to Moxfield to tweak at that point so um i'm happy that you guys have other memes. i'm gonna, I mean, that's I'm gonna really pick cool. on you a little bit here because i have a question for this this that's is a good discussion it's <laughs> a, a good discussion there's been, there's been several times that you've ran a deck um the one that comes to mind is shrines but just in general um i think it's happened across a couple different decks where you have said i don't even know how to win with this deck or i don't know why you think i'm gonna win with this deck do you think that some of that – I don't know if you're being facetious or not, but does some of that come from the fact that you're using EDH rec so much as your primary source of deck building so you feel like your brain isn't tapping into um, the synergies as much because you're getting the synergies on the screen instead of thinking about it more cerebrally? That's not a word. Um about like okay well i'm gonna add this card because of this instead of okay well this card is present on this list does that make sense do am i articulating that well enough yeah it makes sense and i guess i i don't know how to answer i mean i i don't know I, sure maybe i mean yeah there, there's probably some sort of that inherently in there yeah sure. and, I'm, and i'm not actually picking you I, this is a, i was just curious because we're talking about edh rec and using it as a resource so i was just wondering if um if that yeah, is I a mean, potential side effect I, I usually go through a lot of different avenues when I use EDH rec and kind of pick and choose different things based on different styles of play as far as like, I mean, they've got different options as far as the commander goes where sure. you can choose different play styles or whatever yep. the commanders at that point do. So I usually kind of go back and forth and see what, you know, different themes, different commanders can have and mm-hmm. then kind of find where I want the deck to be at that point and then use suggested cards based off that. But yeah. As far as like looking at other cards to go into it, I mean, I usually use the staples that I want to put into the specific colors of decks, and then I find stuff that synergizes with the commander based off of EDH rec. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't necessarily go on other like a Scryfall or any of the other deck building websites to find sure. synergies for it. I just find high synergy cards that fifth yeah. theme of the commander that i'm building so just to i mean you know just to keep going off of that 
and uh, it's the same example, but I'm, I'm building a list right now uh, for Silvala Explorer Return, and you guys have played against it a couple times online, and Martin had suggested Omnath for that list. And that's another one where, I mean, every time I've played it, I've gotten groans at the table in terms of like, oh, oh God, we got to do something about this. Like, this is going to be problematic. And it's not even present in the top 50 um, for the yeah. creatures where it's like, I, I do just think that if you only use EDH rec, you could potentially be missing out. I mean, that's part of the reason we do the podcast too, right? Is we talk for sure. About, yeah. No, this is great for me actually. Um, and so I just feel like it is a way that in some ways EDH rec is, and I think we've mentioned before, is like sometimes it is its own worst enemy because it is such a potent resource yeah. and tool and it can be really easy to just rely on that but then you can't cards and that's why they do their edh rec cast um they do the challenge of stats and t- try to like push back on that a little bit um but i definitely think for newer players uh edh rec is definitely uh up there for that uh, so they, are yeah. you going are you two going off of like scryfall then after edh rec or how, <clears throat> how what's your process there in terms of regular deck building, I will. Yeah. I I usually use EDH Rec just for the random button because, like I said, Scryfall. You're going to get. I mean, they have how many, hundreds and thousands of magic cards. You're just going to get random ones. So I just use. I'll use EDH Rec for the random. Um, sometimes I'll look. Sometimes I'll look at EDH Rec. Um, if I find a commander I'm interested in, I'll look at the cards to see if if my hunch about the commander is correct. So there's been a few, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but Martin, I, I've talked to a few times about, um, oh, there's a Jared Carthalian, uh True Air, I think it's called. And he's a Naya white, red, green. I think he's a colorless in there as well. I think he's a 3-3. Three, three. When he enters, you, somebody else becomes the monarch. And then whenever you're the monarch, if... If you're the monarch, whenever he would be dealt damage, you put that many plus one plus one counters on him instead. Okay. And I was telling Martin, like, oh, this would be really rad because Martin has a monarch commander, and I think that's a really interesting mechanic. So if you have two decks at the table using that, that could be really fun. And I told him, I was like, well, my hunch is you just put him out, you get monarch back, and then you just do stuff like Blasphemous Act, and you just deal a bunch of damage on the board and wipe the board except for you don't wipe him off, and then he's a million million, and you just swing off. And I was like, well, that just seems really straightforward and not... Once I've solved it, I'm not that interested. So then I'm like, then I go to EDH Rec and go, okay, is this how people are running the deck? And I see that, and then I go, okay, never mind, pass. So if I can find a commander that it feels like, okay, I'm looking at EDH Rec, and I can't really puzzle through it. Excuse me then I'm like, okay, I'm more interested. Or if I feel like I look at their EDH rec and I go, okay, I see what they're, what other people are doing. I think I can do something different. Then that's another way to inspire me. But I typically will just use it to find a random commander. And then I use Scryfall to like keyword stuff and search for synergy. So you can Um, search through synergies on Scryfall too? Yeah. So you can do like, you can pick your commander colors. um, Mm -hmm. And then you can just search uh, text like keywords and stuff like that and then um, you can search by mana symbols you can search by block you can search by different creature types and stuff like that you can search by um um i mean a bunch of different things and you can search so, by literally anything on the card yeah it's really granular mm-hmm. um, yeah for, i don't think i ever use scryfall yeah to circle back to bill's question about the secret santa thing um i had a tough time 
and I've said it before, I, I liked the last year we did it, we just did, we each built a random deck, and then we kind of drew out of a hat to pick the deck. You didn't build it for somebody. And I liked that a little bit more just because it felt like there wasn't as much pressure to personalize the deck and people could still be surprised. Um, I had a deck in mind. I had to switch it because of people started posting what decks they had or what decks they didn't really want in terms of the theme or play style. So I had to switch mine up, which wasn't a big deal. Um, but I, I mean, I just tried to make a deck that was as nasty as possible for the budget. I, I had an idea and I realized, oh, I could make this deck for really cheap and I can make it really, really mean. And um, I, I tried to make something that I'd be jealous of, but also something I'd be scared of. And so, um, I mean, the deck kind of built itself and it's, I'm excited about it. I, we have a, I have a deck that I run, Goblin deck, that gets talked about for the speed. And so, um, you know, not everybody has a fast deck at the table, so that was one of the inspirations for building that deck, even before I knew who I was going to build it for or what the commander was going to be. Uh, my kernel of inspiration and motivation was to build a deck that could be fast, because some people don't have fast decks, and then I think that they go, oh, I just lose because I, my deck isn't fast enough. And I don't think you need a bunch of specific cards to make the deck fast. I think you need a lot of synergy. Um, a lot of times, and so I went into the way with that and ended up building this pretty fast. I think once the commander gets revealed, the deck kind of builds itself, which is good. Yeah, that's awesome. Nice. Um, I mean, as far as what I've been doing for this one was a little interesting just because of the budget and like Aaron said, it's tough because you want to personalize it and make it something worthwhile. So, I mean, I actually do... Um, my commander looking, I actually don't start on EDH rec. I actually start at um, Manabox is an app that I think most of us use for like tracking our collection and our decks and stuff, just so that we have it handy. Um, they have a random card generator on their one tab, and so you can filter it down by legendary creature. So then it only oh, returns nice. that, and then you scroll. So that's what I do on my breaks at the gym. Um, yep. So in between my heavy sets, when I've got you know two or three minutes and whatever, I'll go through and just hit a couple of those and just kind of dwell on it in the background. Um, and then if I've found something interesting, I'll take a look at it on EDH Rec. Just kind of, again, kind of like what Aaron said, to just prove to myself that either I'm thinking roughly in terms of what other people are using it for, um, in this case, for this deck, I also wanted to see, because we had that budget set in mind, another thing that EDH Rec has is it actually um, will link the decks that it um, takes the information from. And so then you can sort that table by the budget of the deck. Um, yeah. And so I did that, and I took a, took a look. Once I had kind of decided I was between two or three commanders, I took a look at what people were doing in building with roughly the budget that was there. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that after I had kind of put together my list of what I was looking at doing and then seeing, just seeing if there was things that I was missing. A lot of times, you know, before I finish up, I'll go to EDA track and I'll go through um, mostly enchantments is really the thing that I take a look at because I feel like that's something that I'm always slips through the cracks for me. Um, I feel like they're kind of an, under, they can be an underutilized thing. Um, 
given all of the Enchantress decks currently, that maybe isn't the case as much. Um, but I'll check like sorceries and, and instants and that kind of stuff. Generally, I've got a good handle on what creatures I want for the deck and just see if there's anything that I missed that maybe would work better than what I've got. Um, the other thing that I did that I don't remember where I got this from, but you know, at one point I think I had like 113 cards um, in the deck. Um, and so what I did was I actually goldfished it, but I removed all of the lands. Um, and then as I went through, I just did a few test hands and, um, it helped me cut the list down a little bit just by saying, like, if I got this and I went through three to five, um, Mm -hmm. rounds and I said, boy, at any given time, I would have rather had a land than this card. If that card shows up multiple times, it's probably going to get cut because I always want to land more than that. Um, and so that's something that I, I think it was maybe the command zone, maybe it was EDA trick. I don't remember. Um, but that was something that somebody had talked about, like, just play with your cards. And if, you know, if you've got a hundred cards and, and no lands in there, if you're goldfishing in person, you just set that card face down and say, this is a land now. And then you know that you probably didn't want it. Obviously it takes more than two or three times to do it, but that was a good way to kind of break the ice because I, cutting cards out of a deck list is tough. Well, yeah. and that's like, you know, Martin and I run <clears throat> games online quite a bit. And I think that is just getting reps in is really helpful. So like I'm in this cell list that I'm making, I've got harmonize in there, which is two colorless and two forest to draw three cards. It's, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's considered staple in every green deck because drawing cards is really nice. Um, and, we kind of talked about it and I have a lot of draw power in that deck. And every single time I drew that card, no matter what stage of the game it was, I just wasn't turned on by it. I was always like, yeah, I drew that card. I don't, and then it sits in my hand and it's like one of those things where it seems counterintuitive. Like, Oh, this is a really good card. You get to draw three cards. This is really important in any green deck. But then for some, because of the draw power in the deck, every time I found that it was actually more of a liability because it costs four, which the mana problem isn't big because I have a lot of mana in the deck, but like it just was one of those things where it's like it felt more like a speed bump. It felt like it was slowing me down instead of generating me answers. And so now it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this seems counterintuitive to cut this from the deck, but maybe I'll run a list where I took that out because every time I'm finding this, I'm not liking it. And so yeah. to your point, Bill, like just running those the decks and getting a feel for them and seeing like, okay. And I did the same thing. I was gold fishing the Christmas deck and I actually drew a card and I was like, wait, this sounds good in theory, but what are the chances it's really going to work that way? I can cut this. And I think that's another reason why like the, the budget's pretty nice. Cause then you don't have to, you don't have to him and haul over as many synergies or interactions. Cause it's like, if they want to upgrade it, they'll upgrade it. What about you, Nick? I have not chosen a commander yet. I'm still in the process of doing that, but uh, who can, do I have? Suge- can I suggest Dorn? God of winter. It's really funny that you guys brought him up. Aaron specifically brought him up. Nick, I don't think I've ever heard mention it. Um, But I think (laughs) I said that I was talking with my cousin because he's officially started playing Magic and stuff, and he's looking at different decks and commanders and stuff. And that was number three on his list of decks that he thought would be kind of interesting to run. I was like, I mean, that's a a deep number one. Uh, I... He, uh, Krenko was one of them. 
Which which Krenko? No, actually, I think it was Tin Street, if I remember right. Oh, Um, I mean, there is a kind of half a dozen of one and six of the other. Um, And then the other one was uh, Kyler. No, it wasn't Kyler. He he tried that out and he won with Kyler. So that was (laughs) too much deck. Um, so 2000 and late at this point. Yeah, it's old news. You gotta win with it. He doesn't need anything else. Um, no, it was actually a card that I had never heard of. Um, Nekusar? No. No, no, no. Um, Bill's been begging for Nekusar to get back. I have. I have I been we all have. number one. No, we all have not. <laughs> I don't think that's true. First-hand experience, I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, it was Izuri Claw of Progress um, oh, out nice. of the yeah. Multiverse Legends. And yeah, he, he's like, have you ever heard of this card? And I was like, I actually hadn't. I'd heard of, there's a different Azuri card that I'd heard of. Um, he's like, yeah. yeah, I thought that could be kind of cool. So I, it's interesting watching him go down those avenues and try to figure out how mm-hmm. to pick a commander. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, uh, yeah, I have not chosen a commander yet. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of toying with the different themes that I want to do. Just um, buy a pre-con like, for 40 bucks and call it good. Nope. That'll, that'll be the best deck at the table. So uh, Could be. You never know. I, I I kind of gravitate to what Martin says. I like to try to find mechanics that are underutilized. At least I'm trying to at this point. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Hoping to find something. I will say the last there's, thing I wanted... To... Snows are underutilized. <laughs> I mean, and they're cool. <sighs> That's true. The last point I want to make about the EDH rec conversation is just that I think it's most useful for me as a newer player, whereas I feel confident in my ability to search for creatures with different keywords. Or, For instance, I've, I've got an Arcades, the strategist deck that relies on defenders. Well, I can easily scryfall and just look at a bunch of cards that have defender, right? But finding instants in sorceries or enchantments that are really synergistic I don't just have the card knowledge to know those types of things off the top of my hand. So I have used EDH Rec to see if there are just blatant cards that would be perfect for a deck or utility lands. Yeah. Those types of things. Like I didn't know of Rogue's Passage and I built a Voltron deck that I want to swing and hit someone with. And I could just have a land that was going to allow it to be unblockable. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty good for, I think it's like a 65 cent land well i'm not going to know that as a new player unless i have a resource and i think edh rec does a good job of that i, I agree i just want to say to, to point to piggyback off that is i'm not trying to demonize edh rec by any means i do think that learning to use stuff like um scryfall or even like going on moxfield and looking at other similar decks and seeing how they're laid out i just think it, it gives you the skill of learning your deck and how the deck should run whereas i think the encyclopedia of edh rec just shows you where people are putting into their decks and i i i guess for me i feel like it's easy to lose the play pattern when you're just looking at okay this is a really popular card. I should put it in it. And it's not like, oh, I understand why that's in there. It's just, I should put this card in there. Um, so I do think that, like, as you get better with deck building, using EDH Rec and then Scryfall and um, 
I mean, looking at Moxfield and stuff like that, I just think that learning to understand why cards are in deck lists it becomes important. And I don't know that EDH rec gives you that context necessarily. But to your point, Martin, of course, like, yeah, how are you supposed to know which instance and sorceries to put in to any given list if you don't have the card knowledge at all and then you kind of accrue that over time, so... And even the guys on the EDH rec cast, um, they talked about like how they build decks and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. basically their stuff mirrors what we do as well. Is like They'll start at EDH rec, they'll use it as a resource, but it is not the resource. They then go to Scryfall or these other <clears> sites and, and spend some time and just kind of noodle things their own way. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I've actually, and this might not be viable for everyone if you don't play online, you don't have that ability, but I've actually recently, two different decks that I was thinking about building, downloaded other people's decks off Moxfield and imported them and just tested out how the decks felt. And I quickly realized, well, this card sucks in this deck. I would never put this in my deck or this card's really good. I should consider running this. Have you considered yeah. just building your own decks? Um, Why could I when I can run yours? Oh my god. It's true. That's true, baby. Up for that one. No, I, I appreciate you talking about other resources too, because I mean I really solely use kind of one resource or you know, one resource to look at cards uh, yeah. as far as that goes. So And it'll get you far. I mean the the other reason I I, I, I to go back and we're supposed to be ending this, but uh <laughs> the other reason I use EDH rec um, the the main I, when I first stumbled upon it because when I was playing Magic before this was not a thing. Yeah, we so, never had this. Yeah, computers. So I, computers weren't. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, we never so, had these things. Getting back into it, I, I realized that I like EDH Rec for specifically Nekusar because. But when I had stopped playing, it was like twelve years ago, and mm-hmm. to be able to look up Nekusar when we first got back in and look at oh, here's all these new cards just for this commander Yeah, that I missed out for 12 years. Like, now that we're back into playing and, and I'm tapped into sort of the magic zeitgeist, like, I'm more aware of the cards coming out or the cards that people are using, so it's not so um, overwhelming. But, yeah, if I'm revisiting a deck, like, it's nice to just be like, okay, well, what is, what's come out in the last couple of years that people are putting into their decks now because maybe I want to just upgrade my deck um, instead of like, I mean, I don't upgrade my decks enough so that I don't, I'm not constantly doing that. Um, so I use Scryfall to like build my deck, but if I'm looking to upgrade my deck, like I'll use EDH Rec just to see like, okay, well, what cards have I missed that people are using um, to, to put in there? And it's turned me onto a lot of good cards for for stuff like Nekusar in the past when I when yeah. I first got back into it. And you could do that after every set. I mean, the the speed in which they're pumping out product right now, you're yeah. never going to be able to catch. And, and the power creep. They're bit, making cards that are cheaper that do exactly what you might have in your deck right now, and you would never know it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And with that, we've talked about Nick's deck. We've talked about Christmas, and it's not even uh, Thanksgiving. So, Thanksgiving. like, that has broken my number one rule altogether is Christmas doesn't happen until Thanksgiving is over. Um, but we're going to cut it off there. Thank you for listening. Um, follow us on all the social medias. Uh, don't post a ton, but try to try to keep people updated on the games that we're playing. Or again, sometimes, you know, I 
find an interesting card while I'm on my rest sets at the gym, and I'm like, hey, I'll just post this. Um, nine times out of ten, if I post a card, that's when it's uh, what where it comes from. So cheer me on doing the squats or whatever. Um, but with well, that, we're gonna end it, and we'll. Uh, I guess to look ahead, Martin, is your deck next? I do have a deck up next. Yes, perfect. Do you know what you're running. Uh, I if I had to guess right now, I will be doing. Uh, you don't have my to guess. Lord of the Rings. You could just decide. Uh, it's going to be Saruman the White Hand. Okay. Nice. All right. We're going to lock you my into that. Most of so sorry if you tune into the next episode and it's not that. Just made Martin a liar. Uh, with that, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Peace. you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Deck Picks Podcast. You can find us on social media at Deck Picks Pod. And you can find us on Moxfield under the same username, and we'll be posting links to this deck with all of our suggestions under the considering. Feel free to take a look, let us know, like, comment, subscribe, and thank you for spending time with us today. Okay.